Hello, I'm Melissa Parrish. And I'm Dean Leganza. Your co-hosts for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Wendy Harrington of TIAA and Suave Kierner of Humana to discuss some of the challenges facing today's data and analytics leaders. Welcome, Wendy and Suave. Good to be with you. It's great to be here. Before we get into our conversation today, I just wanted to note that both Wendy and Suavik will be joining Jean for a panel discussion at our upcoming Data Strategy and Insights event, November 18th and 19th. So if you enjoy this conversation, be sure to check out that event. Let's get started by uh, sort of level setting, discussing one project or initiative that you feel really exemplifies the uh, business value or impact of data and analytics at your company. Uh, Wendy, why don't we start with you? Sure, Melissa. Well, I think we're all in search for that killer app that then goes viral, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, I mean, what I I think is a great example is the portfolio of initiatives that we launched when we kicked off Nuveen Labs. And the reason we did that is, one, we wanted to get people engaged, like roll up your sleeves, understand what AI and analytics is all about. Two, like understand what works and what doesn't. So that we can either say, hey, look, let's go go big, go home, or just go deeper or broader in a given area. And the third thing we wanted to do is start to build an ecosystem of partners. Uh, we realized we weren't going to do it all on our own. And we felt with a group of partners, we could go faster, probably cheaper, and definitely make better progress knowing where others had kind of laid the groundwork before. Interesting. Thank you for that. And Swabik, what do you think? Got any good projects that exemplify how important this whole thing is? We have a portfolio of uh, um, more than 100 initiatives right now, but uh, let's, let's look at one. Uh, let's <laughs> look at one of them. So uh, so we all, of course, are familiar with the current um, you know, pandemic situation the last one and a half years. So being in healthcare, that was, of course, a you know, prime thrust for, um, for the work, uh, innovation, and, and therefore also data and analytics. Uh, so, so early in the pandemic, we recognized that, uh, you know, the situation of staying at home has, um, you know, created special challenges for our members that um, sometimes, you know, couldn't even get uh, healthy food or transportation. And um, the company really responded very quickly by creating what we call internally basic needs program, uh, where, you know, Humana members that are struggling to get uh, food they receive a, a series of 14, you know, home delivered meals containing fresh groceries, ingredients, etc. And we do it because we know that in our population from our predictive work, you know, that, that um, you know, ability to have healthy food does uh, influence heavily your, your health outcomes and even medical costs as you go. So it does, uh, does make a lot of uh, a lot of sense, of course, to keep our seniors healthy through providing good food. So, so what what does a you know a, a data analytics program do in this context? Is uh, uh, the first you no, know, it's it's um, about prediction of which of the members has a has a problem with uh, with um, with food insecurity. So, you know, we created uh, a series of models around social determinants of health. Among them, you know, also um, that uh, uh, food insecurity prediction model. Uh, and then uh, very swiftly with our citizen analytics uh, capabilities and citizen de app development capabilities, we created a, a full logistic system on how to collect uh, the request for meals, then ship 
with requests to uh, you know, meal providers that we have across the US contracted you know, parties that are helping us. And then of course, follow through on all of this chain to make sure that a, a person gets a meal or, or that we can essentially understand you know, where this order is on the way and can answer questions in case uh, our care team contacts the person again. So, so we used all of this based on, we did all of this based on some of the Microsoft stack technologies that we have created, you know, platforms that we invested to win this point earlier on, you know, we, we selected those partners and we had, uh, luckily, our staff trained to be able to, you know, create this type of models, create the, you know, very quickly applications that help you, um, you know, swiftly de develop and, and run a new business process like this in a particular um, meal delivery. So, so here it is, here is the kind of analytics function, which lets you see kind of spreads from, from data acquisition, because frankly, for these models, we had to um, uh, understand how to measure food insecurity. And we did quite a bit of surveying uh, early on to stabilize the kind of grand truth data. Uh, then you have to be able to, to create those type of models with sufficient precision. And then frankly, you cannot stop there because in order to have impact, you also need the ability to very quickly uh, create uh, you know, tools that enable those models and predictions to, to actually do something in real life. You know, you both head up teams that I presume is full of lots of specialists, data specialists, data engineers, data scientists. Just heard Swabek mention citizen data initiatives. You both talked about building ecosystems of partners. Um, the, the people side of things tends to fascinate me a lot. And when I talk to people trying to talk about how they, how, how to make data and analytics more impactful in the organization, they always talk about data culture. Um, what does that really mean having a data culture and I mean, why does it matter? And if it doesn't matter, how do you make it happen? It seems the people things are always very subtle and little, little hard to figure exactly what button to push to make this thing happen. But what is, what is a data culture and it doesn't matter. It's critically important. I mean, there's a couple of signs that say that you're you're there or making progress on your journey. One of them is, are you using data to make the biggest decisions for the company, right? And I think that's a challenge for a number of companies where historically, maybe you couldn't trust the data, or maybe you didn't understand the models behind the decision-making, or you didn't have the means to do it at a timely fashion. But, you know, as, as Slavik was talking about, taking care of, of people's health. Um, we take care of their financial health. So TIAA's mission is to serve those who serve others. And it's healthcare workers and teachers uh, by and large and, and helping make sure that they have the income they need in and through retirement. And, and so, you know, it starts with, well, are they on track? You know, and, and what data do you have to show you whether they're on track, if they are on track, great. How do we keep them there? And if not, what are the things that we can do? All of that comes down to data. And I think particularly in, in our company, we don't have a physical product. The product is virtual and it's information and knowledge. And so whether it's the knowledge that our advisors have or our plan sponsors have that can help the participant, or perhaps it's the information that we give the participant that helps them understand where they are today and where they need to go, that is critically important. And so for us, that journey of, of creating a data-driven culture, I think almost starts with what are the outcomes? What are the outcomes that you care deeply about? And how can data and information and knowledge help you get from here to there? I think oftentimes um, people spend 
a lot of energy on the issues. And those are important too. You've got to fix it, but there's something inspiring and that call to action that gets everyone aligned when you can focus on those outcomes. Very cool. I, I agree. It's all about the focus in the end on the results. And, uh, and I think there's there no question that the data and AI built around data has a transformative power for most industries. Probably cannot say all, but uh, I'm pretty sure most industries in some way or, or another will uh, benefit from uh, from data and AI. And that certainly is the case for healthcare. So this is how you know I joined from technology company to healthcare company because I felt there is there's so much opportunity. Uh, and that opportunity will come in you know, value for our customers and, uh, and members through, through faster turnaround times. So, so data and AI and automation, of course, helps us run these processes smoother and faster. Uh, personalization of experience, I think, is very important. The transformation that in many ways you have seen in banking, where, where it is becoming more personalized to you and you can you know, get the type of offers that are fitting your lifestyle, I think can do a lot in healthcare and result in better outcomes in you know, healthier, longer lives for people uh, because healthcare is very personal. So that personalization is offered through data and through AI on top of data. Uh, and, and then finally, it's also you know, important for associates. So we, we don't talk that much about this, uh, you know, for, you know, we have this triple aim and then got rebranded into quadruple aim in, in healthcare, which uh, the, the, the fourth part is essentially look at the associates that work in healthcare and, and you know, avoid burnout and, and also you know, looking you know, mid and long term, of course, we are, we are facing shortage of nurses, shortage of you know, physicians, because uh, there are more and more of us you know, getting into an age where we need that help. And of course, there's less and less you know, people you know, worldwide when you look at the population that they can actually provide that. So, uh, so in this context, um, you know, removal of mundane tasks that you know, nurses need to do. And right now, um, physicians, nurses, clinicians you know, spend up to 50% of their time on you know, administrative tasks. Now, that can be done by data and AI uh, kind of being behind you know, in, in this process. It's certainly way better than it is done today. Uh, so, uh, and all of this, of course, in the end, you know, helps us um, deliver more human, you know, healthcare and better outcomes uh, for, for our members. So, so clearly, you know, data, building data culture in organizations, healthcare organizations is critical. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been on a path, I can, I can talk about this for a long time, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the people side is so important though, right? I mean, that's one of the things that we've seen. It's. One, people are looking for, how do I grow my skill sets so that I can keep advancing in my career, but also having more impact? And I think data science is one of those fields that's still just wide open. Um, and then the second thing is all those who benefit from it. I mean, you gave great examples, but I would say I can't think of a function right now where it couldn't augment what that team is doing. So whether it's the fraud team, right, that's helping keep clients safe or the cyber team, right, who's trying to protect um, all of our data, right, uh, uh, across industries and countries, um, or the service team, right, who could use more tools to help them serve those clients, um, or the clients themselves and the experiences that they go through, or the HR team to help uncover maybe additional opportunities for a given associate, or for maybe a, um, an applicant coming in. So I think that the use cases are so rich and the, the challenge um, I think is both, how do you continue to grow the talent pool 
for those data scientists and everyone that surrounds them, right? From data engineers to machine learning experts to the translators out there and the UI experts. But then also, how do you help everyone around them um, learn to take advantage, right, mm-hmm. of, of that information and of the tools? Because it's not necessarily something that they've grown up uh, doing before. And, you know, change can be fun and exhilarating. It can also be hard and, and scary at times. So um, I think, you know, in locking arms and going through that journey together is uh, super important. I agree. I agree. A big part of it is, to, to your point, uh, education. So, so frankly, if I kind of un- unpack this how to build data culture, there is probably two sides of it. One is uh, investment into platforms and tools that are as simple as possible um, to do data, to do AI, data science, uh, contemporary, but also kind of removal of limits. Sometimes you know people get stuck because it's just hard for them to get to the data set or to... To, you know, we don't have tools to or platforms to code in a modern language that they learn at school. If you get you know, people into the company and they and we go, everything that you have is Cobol or you know some old <laughs> .NET, then you know of course they will have they will have a challenge. But you have platforms that are you know modern age, you know, which we invested into like uh, um, our machine learning platform that is based on PySpark, so it's kind of Python, one of the most common used languages. It's easier for them to um, to onboard. Um, but, but, you know, I think it's not only about data scientists. I think you said it nicely, Wendy, you know, but it's like the whole community, the whole you know, context here, uh, data stewards, uh, you know, analysts, uh, and, uh, and then in the end, also the business users. Um, so you need a range of things in the program. Uh, so platforms build this one, but then loads of training and target hiring. Um, and, you know, as we, as we do that, we, um, we, we, we care for diversity in this context as well, because one thing that troubles me, of course, as we move forward is, is how do we, how do we make sure that we continue to have a permission space to bring AI into these processes? And, and, and for this, you, you do need to, um, you know, address uh, the challenges of, you know, people maybe you know, not finding jobs in other areas. And then how do you find them job and find a job in data space? So, so we have target program where we, for example, you know, recruit people from, from other jobs so that maybe are, you know, there's less demand for, and then we, we target, train them for 12 weeks, and then we bring them into the team and they find jobs, maybe not as a data scientist right away, but uh, there's loads of work for just you know, data stewardship, data management, uh, reporting, you know, power, power BI and power apps that we have uh, implemented in the team is, uh, you know, are, are simple enough. They're kind of based on the same haptics as Excel or PowerPoint. So it's easier for people to uh, to join that community and, and become, you know, part of the overall ecosystem of uh, um, of data analytics, data, data science, and then finally, executives, very very important group. Um, and, and here, uh, I think many of my colleagues had a, had success, and uh, and so did I with reverse mentoring programs, um, because those executives actually do they do want to progress, they do want to continue to learn, they they understand, uh, it, you know, uh, for most of them for sure. But uh, the data and analytics is coming, and they need to uh, they need to educate themselves, understand how to manage the world that will be infused by uh, those technologies. So, um, so a lot of you know my team is engaged in reverse mentoring of our executives, um, and they like it as well. By the way, and this kind of creates a bit more permission space, a bit more oh, career. <laughs> so, so why not? So, uh, so that's a good thing to do. 
That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's interesting. This summer, um, I embarked on an outreach program with our executive team and just did one-on-one sessions talking about a little bit about what we were doing on the data front. But I started each conversation by saying, you know, I, I would love to hear your top opportunities, outcomes that you're trying to achieve, and then who you hold accountable for it. And it opened up these amazing conversations, um, incredibly articulate about some of the outcomes, right? Are our participants on track? How can we help our plan sponsors if we could provide X, Y, Z, right? From our, our head of talent and thinking about diversity and inclusion and what analytics and information can be helpful in our whole pipeline, as well as mobility internally. So I, I think, you know, sometimes we just don't have an, enough conversation about it. When you engage in that dialogue, they may not know all the insights of AI, but boy, they sure know the outcomes that they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting time because since so many companies are trying to, as, as Gene mentioned in his question, build this data culture, there is this, this moment, this opportunity to kind of build it from the ground up in a lot of places. And um, by incorporating some of those strategies that you just mentioned, Wendy and Swabic, you can we can maybe um, avoid some of the pitfalls that some other technical um, industries have had. But it does also make me wonder about prioritization. So, so Swabic, you mentioned you have a portfolio of 100 projects. When do you have something similar? We've got um, how do we how do we staff? How do we build? How do we train? Uh, how do we develop insights, programs, and strategies uh, that help drive business impact? How do we do the same thing that helps internally? Uh, but then you have this whole other uh, a segment of your world that is defensive, right? What about privacy? What about um, what about securing the data? What about gosh, I don't I don't know legislation? How do you decide among all of these incredibly important things in in an industry that is absolutely exploding right now? As you both have discussed, what where do you put your efforts? How do you decide where to where to focus your time and other resources? So I think it's like any other business question, right? You're always going to have multiple priorities. And perhaps if they stayed still, you know, you'd have a shot at letting them <laughs> prioritize. But the world yeah. is more fluid than that. Uh, I think that's why there's been so much focus on agile and not just kind of agile from a way of working, but a, a thought process as well. It's no longer that you go into the year end and say, here's, you know, I'm going to rank stack my priorities and get those funded. And then you know, I'll come back and revisit in a year. So I think, first of all, you have to be fluid. Second is you have to, to have that bifocal vision, right? You, you've got to focus on the things that are going to build the foundation over the long term, right? Privacy, Melissa, to your point, is a huge one, right? CPRA, CCPA, right? And that's just the U.S., right? As you, <laughs> as you go global... Um, and it's more complicated um, because different states are rolling up different rules. So you need to build scalable solutions for that. They don't get built overnight, but you know we have a program where we're rolling that out over the next year and a half, where it will be much more scalable and we can accommodate not only regulations, but personal preferences as well. I think the second level is, you know, unless you're a startup, you've got legacy infrastructure that you're going to have to take care of in some way. And so there's a modernization effort that, that has to go on. And you have to make sure that you're always putting some dollars and efforts against that, not for the sake of modernizing, 
but to enable the things that you want, which is usually, you know, better, cheaper, faster. And I would say almost faster becomes the priority, faster and more nimbly. Because as we've talked about that ecosystem, you need to be able to plug and play better because the world is moving so quickly that you don't want to get wedded to kind of one approach that that you'd locked in earlier. And then that third level is all of the applications that are going to add value to the organization. And I think every company has to go through their own prioritization. Some of them, it's very clear that you'll have the impact from a financial return perspective. Some of them, right, are the investment so that um, you can make sure you're always going to do the right thing, right? So the ethical AI elements and spending the time on educating and thinking about that, right? Some of it, as we say, is talent. And you may not see the returns for that from a long time from a productivity perspective, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And in a in an organization where you care deeply about your clients and your people, you have to take care of both. So I, I do think it's the biggest challenge. There's never enough bandwidth or dollars or time is really the biggest constraint to go around. But I think if you collectively bring the groups together and discuss it um, and do it in an agile fashion, those are the two things that to me have been most important. The third that I think is still in education, back to our earlier conversation, is outcomes. Um, there's a, a lot of teams that still aren't very good at articulating or thinking about what the outcome will be. Um, there's lots of efforts on, you know, we want to build a capability, but not, you know, what will it deliver in the end, right? Um, better financial returns or less risk or uh, improve um, fraud by X percent, whatever that is. And then the more you can be crisp against those and then close that feedback loop to say, you know, we thought we would get X, were we successful or not? I think that starts to build the discipline that over time you get better at prioritization because in a sense, it's another data-driven decision, right? Yeah, and, and I think you need to you know, continue to um, to use multiple strategies you know, here and, and kind of continue to evolve and change and be agile about your prioritization technique. Uh, which, which also is, you know, in, there are seasons in, in the program. So like initially, frankly, as we were setting up our infrastructure and platforms for machine learning, for data science, the, the, the defensive became the offensive. Um, so um, so the, the data stewardship, ensuring that we have good metadata and data, you know, helped us uh, understand what are the key value data sets so that we know what to prioritize and bring to the cloud in the, into the platforms. Um, the, you know, we, we very early invested in using generative AI for synthetic data capability. Uh, and that um, that helps on two fronts. One is with education uh, internally without our, within our data science and, and, and engineering and IT organization, because we had to set up GPU hardware or get access to those type of resources to be able to execute this uh, more advanced workloads. And, and then, you know, secondarily, having this high quality synthetic data helped us you know, prime our new platforms in the cloud while uh, um, you know, staying uh, staying the course in our progress with with risk and enterprise information protection organizations that helped us secure the you know the cloud cloud environment. So, uh, so so in in that case, you know, this this investment into into privacy, you know, data governance, uh, data security, you know, helped us frankly move faster in the in the cloud. And then finally, you know, Wendy, I think you said very nicely, the, the ethical AI is a huge thing. Uh, Huge thing for us, certainly in healthcare, certainly now, uh, of course, as we as we went through the health crisis, so um, we we actually invested quite a bit into setting up uh, 
uh, our principles, the, the, uh, the technological kind of infrastructure to be able to validate every model through all of the different uh, dimensions of uh, potential unintended bias and can remove them. Uh, and then also allowed us to create um, good links with uh, uh, with legal, you know, risk organizations as well as a number of business partners and you know, clinical kind of leadership in the company to to have the right governance and operating uh, kind of oversight uh, on our AI program. And that 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 felt, of course, you know, felt quite quite a bit of understanding of our readiness to execute on high level AI use cases when we we clicked in with more of a problem of really understanding value. Uh, so uh, so so right now as we speak on a kind of Yearly fashion, we are um, we are understanding. We're trying to understand the, the economic value of every opportunity we are realizing, and uh, and holding ourselves accountable as much as possible to the end outcomes. And, and that's something that you know I brought in from the technology field, where you know you kind of consider something done when you really see usage, when you see the meters turning or users using your your end product, your own tool. So so we are you know, pushing the team to. Uh, uh, to have uh, monthly active users and, and satisfaction of those users on our, you know, rather as we you know, evaluate progress in, uh, in every single initiative. You're both talking about um, a fairly wide range of portfolio of opportunities and projects and issues and use cases um, and a continuum. I mean, I, an early chief data officer I talked to who had been a chief data officer back before they were fashionable and was very successful, warned me once about, I asked a question about combining analytics and data in the same organization. Said, should you have a separate chief data officer, chief, chief analytics officer? He said, well, it, the, the fun stuff, the payoff is in the analytics and, and, the, and the data is kind of hard, boring work. So if you combine them, you're going to eventually lose the focus you had when you created the chief data officer organization, and you're going to kind of lose the the, the focus on the kind of basics around quality um, that, that you might need. And he said it was kind of dangerous thing. It doesn't sound like that's happening at all in your organizations. It's, it's a continuum. You're looking at the relative priorities and importance of the various tasks and balancing what you needed to do to kind of get to the outcomes. And this may make my next question uh, uh, just a, a bogus question to ask, which is to say, you both have mentioned that you're you have you you focus on AI in your organizations. So it, you you doing a lot of AI initiatives, machine learning things. I was thinking, what how does AI happen in your environment? Do business leaders who can understand these use cases that you've been talking about suddenly wake up one day and say, we need more AI in this answer, in this solution, in this in this use case, or is that really not how they think? Do they just talk about the problem and what they'd like to see have being solved. And as you work on solving the problem, it may, it may involve a dashboard, it may involve machine learning, it may involve uh, synthetic data. I mean, is it does it is it organic like that? Or are, are there people in the business area saying, we need more more AI and, and I want to do it myself. I don't want to wait for you to do it for me. I think it depends on where a given function and company is on the continuum of, of learning and maturity. So just as an example, you know, if, if I look at, at my company and I look at marketing overall across industries as a, a former CMO, like we were doing analytics, you know, more than a decade ago, right? Because it was so clear about the value that you could use analytics for, especially with your digital outreach and engagement, right? How do I acquire, engage, and, and retain customers? And so I find that the leadership there in many companies is probably more primed for AI, maybe speaks that language, maybe already has people there, already has 
next best offer kind of capabilities in place. And maybe they're using AI or maybe they've got a model that would very easily lend itself to AI. I think if you go into other functions where it wasn't uh, as top of mind, you don't have the expertise or necessarily knowledge base there, um, but you might have a lot of curiosity. And so, for example, um, when I launched Nuveen Labs, our original focus were the investment teams. And we had amazing leadership there where some of them had never used it, had never seen it directly applied, but knew the potential, could feel it. And it was like, okay, here's the problems that I have. Did, does this like tease up a solution? And really was it just AI, but it was bringing in alternative data, right? So we took credit, debit, bill pay information, and we could pull that in along with all sorts of other data sets from Google and Apple mobility data to open table reservations. And boy, when COVID hit, that became our now casting tool. And we got a lot of great information on what was going on, not just at a macro level in the U.S., but we could go down into, you know, San Francisco versus Atlanta and watch the numbers change. Um, And if you take that and you start to combine it with AI models and capabilities, then you start to see people wake up uh, to different opportunities. The other thing I would say is, you know, there's so many different forms of AI, kind of different forms of technology. And so one of the things that people got pretty excited about was NLP as a capability. You know, it's no longer I'm going to predict X, but gosh, this is a huge efficiency tool. And look at how it's helped me flag complaints or I can use natural language generation to actually take, you know, a 20 page uh, PDF and create a summary. And so people start to say, hey, that's super interesting, but they may not know much more about the rest of the AI field. And so that's where I really feel like part of our job is, um, you know, to, to create that culture we talked about before, data-driven culture. Part of that is AI and part of that's education and understanding the art of the possible and how to get from here to there. So I started the conversations with what are the biggest problems you're trying to solve? And then I would try to say, okay, maybe AI is not a solution. Maybe it's alternative data. Maybe it's something else. But let me try and connect you to the right people if I'm not the right one to solve that one, because that is a really good, meaty problem to solve. And, and I think if people define that, that's where we've seen the most success by far in the organization, the people who can articulate that. And by the way, sometimes it's the person three years in, and sometimes it's the most senior person, and then it's everybody in between. So I think that's what's nice about it is people come to it from kind of a logical problem solving, or they come to it from a creative, what's the art of the possible? And all of those are potential avenues to open up the use cases. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that innovation and the demand for AI comes from, from all angles. Huh? And uh, you know, uh, part of it is you know, what we need to drive. Part of it is coming from, uh, from both business leaders, but you know, they, they don't live in, uh, in isolation. I mean, uh, there are loads of... Uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, loads of uh, um, vendors that are creating solutions, uh, target solutions that include aspects of AI, and uh, and they target very serious activities towards those you know, different constituents in our organization. So sometimes they come back and say, okay, like this person is talking about this, you know, let's say call center monitoring solution that includes AI and will help improve quality and satisfaction of our members. You know, all great. So you know, quite a quite a lot of innovation happens this way. 
Uh, but but or maybe no, they're we'll, listening to you on a podcast right now. Maybe so. maybe who <laughs> knows? They will come. And say, so yeah, no. But that's already done. So like, so but, but but there are there are plenty of opportunities. Really, I mean, like we started here. There are so so many. Uh, so uh, so so what happens is you know sometimes it happens this way. But then our role is really to come in and and, and tell them okay. Uh, for this application, you know, steer a little bit. For this application, it does make sense to do it, you know, with outside vendor in a fragmented, a bit more fragmented way. But of course, you know, the company also needs to have strategic view of AI and your data state and, and create this internal, you know, platforms. And we, we created one with, you know, from machine learning, as I talked already. So, you know, with all of this effort, we now have more than 20,000 features about every single member that helps us create models that are of way higher precision than anything else in the, you know, in the published world for sure, or maybe even, uh, you know, I think worldwide. Um, that, that is amazing power. So, so in some ways, in an enterprise, you know, steering these processes so that you create this competitive advantage through analytics and AI, uh, I think is our role. And and this is where you know, when when our team becomes the one to help feed the art of possible, you know, the, the prediction of food insecurity, the prediction of inpatient admission, really understanding. With good accuracy of you know, which of our members will get into the hospital in the next three months, you can do a lot with this and, and potentially change totally the face of the industry to go from more of a reactive mode, which we uh, in, in most cases have right now. We are waiting until we get a pain in our chest and then we call ER or we go to a doctor, as compared to more of a proactive mode, which uh, which you see in many other industries, uh, uh, but where you know essentially there is an AI algorithm behind that. Uh, predicts that something will go wrong and then you, you send a service crew to fix equipment so that it doesn't happen and, and thinking about healthcare you can now send a nurse to someone's home and and tell you see i mean if you don't change your habit here and start eating more healthy or make sure that you take this medicine every single morning because you now we know that if you don't you might get into a hospital soon and uh, and otherwise you don't and and then the person hopefully lives longer it's like your own time machines, look, right? You're going back in time and intervening, right? To save someone's life. I mean, what's That's more what it is. than that? And, and it's real. I mean, Wendy, I, I think this is coming. I and mean, it's not that rocket, much of the rocket science. You know, it, it happened. That's why, you know, we, we, we don't fear flying so much. I mean, because there is all kinds of algorithms that take on signals from all of these engines and the airplanes and they get fixed ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, how wonderful and how reliable it is. See, how, how much longer people's lives could be extended if we did healthcare the same way. And if people obeyed what doctors say, okay, because another thing is, we, that's, a, that's the biggest problem right now, the frontier, because they know something will happen to you, but you know, sometimes it's hard to convince a person to you know, stop smoking or eat healthier or go exercise a bit more. Um, but when we have AI and hopefully, you know, people start trusting with it a little bit more and more, maybe it will be easier to, um, to change, to affect the behavior and then for that affect the health outcome. Well, thank you so much for that. I think that is a really good note to end our conversation. Um, I'm certainly going to go get on the treadmill. I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> this was really, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you both for joining us, Swavik and Wendy. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did too. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the panel at our Data Strategy and Insights Forum. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Marisa. Thank you so much. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.